Well, good morning. How are we doing today? Doing all right in those slushy roads? If you're a newcomer to town, welcome to Kearney, Nebraska, where we get snow on April 30th. I thought we were done with sweater weather, but I pulled mine out again though this morning. So glad that you're here. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney Free. If we haven't met, love to connect with you after the service. If you are uh, a volunteer in any capacity here, probably even if you'd consider becoming a volunteer, come to that 321 Improv tonight, that volunteer appreciation event. It's going to be a great, great time of laughter together. And I am firmly convinced that our most important resource of this church, it's not our building, it's not our great programs, it's our people. And we have an amazing church with great people and so many people serving in so many different ways. And that's, it's our firm conviction, though, that we will grow in Christ as we have a worshiping environment where we engage in the truth and engage in the gospel, that's what we're doing here. As we have a learning environment in some kind of small group community, a life group community, a women's group, a men's group. Uh, and then as we have a serving opportunity, an area to go on to mission. And we have hundreds and hundreds of people, though, that are involved in some area of mission within our church and we're so happy to be able to celebrate you tonight at the Volunteer Appreciation event. Well, we're in this series, uh, week two, titled, This Changes Everything. And if you weren't here last week, this is Good Friday and Easter Sunday. It's the reality of Christ going to the cross to pay for our sins. And the reality of Christ rising from the grave to give us new life, to justify our belief in Him, that changes everything. It changes our past such that we're not defined by our past. Can I get an amen? We're not defined by our past. It changes our present such that we know we now get to live with God today, enjoying the kingdom of God, growing with Him, living in the Spirit of God today. It changes our future that our eternity is secure, that our future is assured in Him, and we can count on that. Last week we talked about Romans chapter 7, in which this man named the Apostle Paul had this encounter with the resurrected Christ, and, and Jesus changed his life. He made him a new creation, and yet even so, he still wrestled, didn't he? He still wrestled a fair bit with his old nature. And we talked about the fact that we are both sinners and saints at the same time, but mostly we're saints, because whatever Jesus says about you is what you are. And so we're increasingly gaining the victory over the sinful nature that still dwells in us. But Paul described the wrestling, the tangle that we all feel underneath the hood, still on a regular basis between that old nature and the new nature that we have in Christ. And one of the great things about a chapter like that is it reinforces to us that wherever you might be struggling, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. And so you have some kind of temptation. You have some kind of family struggle. You have some kind of personal failure. I promise you, you're not the only one in this room. And we want to be the kind of church where we come here and we recognize everyone's got something. And we all go to the cross and to the empty tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we all go to the Spirit of God and He gives us help and He gives us hope as we seek to wrestle through that, whatever it is, for us. Sometimes you go to church just to learn, just to be reminded, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one struggling with that. And that's a good thing. So Paul concludes his struggle and he says, what a wretched man that I am. 
Who will deliver me from this body of death? You ever felt that way? <laughs> like, I mean, what's going on in me that I keep on doing what I don't want to do and, and I don't do the things that I should do? What's wrong with me? That's what he's saying. And then you turn the page to Romans 8 and you find out who will rescue you from that body of death. In the next chapter, 21 different times, it's written, the Holy Spirit will come to you. The Holy Spirit will live within you. And the Holy Spirit will give you strength to continually live, continually gain victory against that sinful nature that we continue to wrestle with. And I encourage you again to read Romans 7 and 8 this coming week. Read them back to back. Especially as you read Romans 8, you're going to see this entire buffet of the way the Spirit of God intends to help us in our struggles. Did you get a chance to read Romans 7 and 8 last week? If you didn't, read it this week. Those two back to back, or maybe listen to it on your Bible app. There's many different ways that we can get the Scriptures into us, reading it, listening to it. However you do that is just fine. But you go through these two chapters and you see this monumental way that the life and death and resurrection of Christ changes everything for us. Many years ago, I memorized Romans 8, and it was transformative for me. I mean, really changed my life to have those words in me and at the ready at any time. It still is transformative for me. I'd say this is perhaps my favorite chapter in all of Scripture. A couple others, I don't know how you rank Scripture, but this is certainly up near the very top for me. It's like uh, the Mount Everest of the Himalayan peaks of Holy Scripture. Listen to the way Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great uh, pastor from the early 20th century, put it. He said, it is one of the brightest gems of all. Someone has said that in the whole of the Scriptures, the brightest and the most lustrous and flashing stone or a collection of stones is this epistle to the Romans. And that of these, Romans 8 is the brightest gem in the cluster. The most moving chapter in the book of Romans is this, chapter 8. So without further ado, let's turn there now to Romans chapter 8. You can open up your Bible app or your uh, paper Bible, however you do it. We're going to read Romans 8, verses 1 through 11 today. You'll find that about four-fifths the way through your Bible. If you just open up your Bible with me right now, and if you don't know where that is, can you give thanks to God that he gave us a table of contents? Okay? There ain't no shame in using it. Use that anytime and go to Romans chapter 8. And today we're going to read together. If you have a Bible, it's great to open it up and read it and mark it up. I love marking up my Bible. It's like my friend that I uh, get to see the little notes that I've written in it in the past. But Romans 8 verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul begins, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you and me who walk not according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things 
of the spirit. The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. On our own, we cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, if that same Spirit dwells in you, then He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. What a profound passage of Scripture this is for us. Let's pray together as we open it up. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you this morning that I don't need to stand on any of my opinions. God, what we need today as we come to church is not another talk. What we need today as we come to church is, is words from the very Spirit of God. So we pray, Lord, that you would teach us. We confess that we're needy of your Spirit. We confess that we have stuff going on in our lives that we cannot control on our own. That we do not have what it takes to fulfill all that you require of us. That we will not enjoy relationship with God outside of the gift of your spirit. That we will not experience peace if we're not aware of your presence with us. So would you teach us now, Lord, from your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. This morning I'd like to suggest three simple foundational ideas for what will produce change in us if that Passion Weekend offers to change everything. What will produce change in us and what won't produce change in us? Here's the first one. A mind focused on the do's and the don'ts, Paul says, won't actually produce change in us. In fact, a mind that's only focused on what I should do and what I shouldn't do leads us to legalism, which is equal to death. I'm going to explain some things though this morning that are absolutely critical to our understanding of authentic Christianity. I'm not sure if you're new here to church or if you're newer or you've been away from church for a long, long time. Whatever the case may be, if you're someone who's been a Christian for a long time or you're brand new here today, we're so glad that you're here. And what I'm going to do here though this morning is explain some things that are absolutely critical to a fundamental understanding of what Christianity is and what it isn't. And so, I say this a lot, but, but please, I encourage you to take notes as we seek to understand what the Bible really teaches about authentic Christianity. This is so important. Look at verse 2 and 3 with me. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, simply could not do. This is what the law could not do. 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in our likeness and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. God sends his own son in your and my likeness, in the image of men and women, to condemn sin in sinful flesh, which we could never do by all of our obedience to the law. Now, many of us have been raised in a a church culture or in culture at large where we've come to believe that God will show approval to you based on the good things you do and the bad things you refrain from. And perhaps we've got this sum from culture because that's the way it works in our schools, right? You gain your teacher's approval by doing the right things and refraining from the wrong things. You gain your coach's approval by doing the right things and refraining from the wrong things. We gain this from our work because we gain our employer's approval by what we do or don't do. Tragically, sometimes people learn this from their families. And so we come to believe that this is the way God operates, that he offers us his approval if we do the right things and refrain from the wrong things. This was the Apostle Paul's belief before he became a follower of Christ. You might look at Philippians chapter 3 later on. He was a very, very good Jewish man who sought to fulfill all of the Jewish law. If you go back to Philippians chapter 3, he talks about how he did that. that he, He came from the greatest pedigree. He was a Jew amongst Jews. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, which was like the elite tribe. And he, he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day, just as a faithful Jewish boy who was supposed to be circumcised. And as to the law, he said, I was faultless. I was blameless. I was a Pharisee. To say he was a Pharisee meant that he was a leading teacher of the law who sought to not only teach but also to live out all 613 do's and don'ts from the Levitical law in the book of Leviticus. I mean, he was an all-star. He was a religious all-star. One of the most religious men on the planet. And he said, all of my do's and don'ts, all that I have done to win God's approval are as good as rubbish. Why do you say that? Because he realized that what they did for him was produce this spiritual pride the sense of superiority, that I am doing the right things and refraining from the wrong things, and now I get to look down my nose at all of those who are failing. It got him legalism, but it got him no relationship with God. In our own day, perhaps you've heard the saying, I don't dance, I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't hang out with girls who do. Have you heard that? Okay, that's how it works today. I stay away from all those people. I maintain the right mask. I maintain the right veneer of outwardly religious behavior such that you would look at me and say, oh, he religiously has it together, which once again simply produces this superiority complex, but it gains nothing in terms of authentic relationship with the living God, and in fact it does worse than nothing because it produces a confusion about what the gospel really is. It produces this confusion that we can somehow work our way to God. Author Elise Fitzpatrick shares a wonderful story about a woman that she was discipling who was caught in the trap of legalism. 
And she writes about the story in one of her books in which she's discipling this young woman who's in her 20s and she has been in church since the cradle. Been in good Bible teaching churches like this one, but she never understood the gospel. And here's a great warning to all parents in the room. Here's a great warning to all kids in the room. The gospel is not what we do and we don't do. Listen to this story. Sit back and hear this. After assuring me that she was indeed saved, I asked her, well, what does that mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a Christian? And she replied, it means that you ask Jesus into your heart. Sound familiar? You following me? Yes, all right, but what does that mean, to ask Jesus into your heart? It means that you ask Jesus to forgive you. Okay, but what do you ask him to forgive you for? Bad things? I guess you ask him to forgive you for the bad things, the sins that you do? Like what, Fitzpatrick asked. A deer in the headlights stood back at me. I thought I'd try a different tack, she explains. Why would Jesus forgive you? She fidgeted in her seat. Um, because you ask him? Kind of going in a circle here. And, and what do you think God wants you to know? She beamed at this. He wants me to know that I should love myself and that there's nothing I can't do if I just think I can. And what does God want from you, I asked. He wants me to do good stuff. You know, to be nice to others and don't hang around with bad people. No, no. That's not the gospel. I, I mean, did Jesus go to the cross such that we would be nice people? Did Jesus go all the way to the cross such that we would not hang out with bad people? No, no, he wants way more than that. Jesus wants our hearts. Okay, let, let's, let's uh, turn to our neighbor and tell your neighbor, Jesus wants your heart. Come on, with me, with me. Jesus wants your heart. Are you with me? Okay, you guys are way better than first service. Good job, y'all. Good job. You participated. First service, they looked at me like a deer in the headlights. Jesus wants the heart. This is part of the reason why Paul is despairing in Romans 7 and in Philippians 3. It's because he's realizing the very best of his do's and don'ts would never be enough. Because the terrifying words from the lips of Jesus Go like this. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. How's that going for you? That's the standard. Okay, none of us is going to get there. None of us is going to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And so our best do's and don'ts won't ever be enough to get us there. That's the bad news. Who's ready for some good news? Okay, here's the good news. Verse three, God has done what the law, weakened as it was by the flesh, simply could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's the gospel. Jesus came and did for us what we could never do. His perfection for our imperfection. His righteousness 
for our unrighteousness. He fulfilled the law that we could never fulfill ourselves. Do's and don'ts won't get us there. Moreover, the problem with do's and don'ts is they can't get the heart, can they? I, I mean, Jesus isn't saying here, Paul isn't saying here that the law is bad in itself. The law has some good, proper purposes to provide guardrails for our lives and to draw us to our knees such that we realize we need a Savior. There's good purposes of the law. But you think about it. The law can prohibit murder. But what can it do about hatred in the heart? The law can prohibit adultery as it did in the Old Testament, as it does in some other nations, but not in ours. But what can it do about lust in the heart? The law can prohibit stealing, but but can it do much against covetousness? The law can say, as the Old Testament law did, watch out for these people. Stay away from that guy. Stay away from those kinds of people. But the law cannot give us love for those kinds of people, whoever those kinds of people are to you. This is why Jesus is unsatisfied with a life of simply obeying the law. He wants the heart. The girl in the story obeyed her version of the moral law. Do this, but don't do that. She had no sense of why. She had no sense of Jesus coming and fulfilling for her what she could never fulfill on her own. She had no sense of the gospel coming in and capturing her heart such that she would be reframed to be able to do that which we that which she couldn't do on her own because now the Spirit of God would live in her. All she had was rules. And rules without relationship equals religion. You can take that to the bank. Be it on the horizontal plan, in your relationships with each other, relationships with your kids, wherever. Or on the vertical plane. Rules without relationship becomes mere religion. Now, legalism could be an issue for some people in this room, some people that you know, and if it is, simply repent of it. Simply acknowledge to God that that you've sought to keep an exterior veneer of religiosity. Admit that and ask for his forgiveness. But my guess is, due to the way the pendulum has swung in the other direction, there could be many more in this room and certainly many more in culture at large for whom legalism is not the issue anymore, but license is. You think about the way our culture has changed in the past couple generations. It wasn't that long ago that frugality was prized. Today, extravagance is prized. Not too long ago, simplicity was prized. Today, it's gluttony. Not too long ago, it was monogamy that was prized. Today, promiscuity is prized. The pendulum has swung in the other direction, from legalism to license. Well, fortunately, Paul has some things to say about that, too. So, he says, a mind focused on pleasure, a mind focused only on pleasure, will lead us to death. 
The mind that is only focused on my pleasure or getting what I want, that mind has no peace at all. It becomes a form of slavery. The passage, once again, though, that we're reading goes on in verse 5 to say this, those who live according to the flesh, I've underlined the word flesh in my Bible a few times here, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. See, what, what he's saying here is that when our minds are set on a this-worldly perspective, that leads us to death. It, it leads us to um, constantly being addicted to getting me, myself, and I taken care of. And that's just another form of addiction. The word there for flesh is sarks in the Greek. Sarks gives us sarcophagus. It means body or flesh. But what Paul is not saying here is that your body is bad. It's not that at all. That's a myth. Christianity does not teach that your body is bad. In fact, Christianity teaches your body is good. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Take care of your body. Rather, what is meant here is this worldly thinking. The mindset on this worldly thinking as if this world is all that there is and you get caught up in the wind of culture. That's a mind that goes to death. That's a mind that is suffocated by addictions, suffocated by always needing our pleasure sensors to be filled. You know those people that always need their pleasure sensor to be filled so they live from one high to another high to another high and they think they're going to gain some kind of great pleasure out of that but it actually ends up enslaving them? Have you ever met someone like that? That's the danger for us when the pendulum swings in the other direction. I want to show you a great example of this from the Lego movie. Did you ever see the Lego movie? Okay, raise your hand high if you've seen this movie. This is a great movie. Okay, you got, more you have to get out some more, okay? You got to go see the Lego movie. Ran it on Netflix. This guy's standing up with two hands. Way to go, buddy. Okay, the Lego movie is a great, great movie about human nature. It's a great movie about legalism. And it's a great movie about license and about where we get our identity. And you got the hero of the story, this young man named Emmett, and he's living in the land of President Business. And President Business is Mr. Micromanager. He's got all the do's and don'ts that you could possibly imagine. And Emmett escapes President Business's domain, and he goes to Cloud Cuckoo Land. And in Cloud Cuckoo Land, he meets Unikitty. You getting all this? Okay, there's gonna be a quiz on this later on. Okay, he meets Unikitty, and Unikitty tells Emmett about the rules for Cloud Cuckoo Land. Take a look. Hi! I am Princess Unikitty, and I welcome you all to Cloud Cuckoo Land! Here in Cloud Cuckoo Land, there are no rules. There is no government, no babysitters, no bedtimes, no frowny faces, no bushy mustaches, and no negativity of any kind. You just said the word no like a thousand times. And there's also no consistency. Any idea is a good idea, except the not happy ones. Those you push down deep inside where you'll never, ever, ever, ever find them. Your fellow master builders are gathered in the dog. Makes you want to see it, right? Okay. 
Did, did you get that? No bad thoughts. No rules. No consistency. No not happy ideas. Only that which makes me feel happy. Only that which fills up my pleasure sensors. A life of this leads to death. And again, we know these people who've got addicted to constantly buying stuff. They live for the next purchase. Well, we know these people who've gotten addicted to some substance or crazy addicted to junk food or crazy addicted to something that they should not be looking at or addicted to social media. I, I mean, the list is endless. People are so creative. The human heart is like an idle factory. We will find almost anything to fill the heart. You think about the people that, and many, many, I mean, I think we're all tempted to do this. Are you on social media? We're all tempted to kind of massage our reputations on Instagram or Facebook or however you do it, such that people only see the pretty parts. Why do we do that? Because we get a sense of life from other people seeing us in a certain way, thinking of us in a certain way. Pastor Kevin told me a great story last week about uh, someone who was going to Alcoholic Anonymous meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous, and he was going to AA not because he was an alcoholic, but because he was an awesome addict, okay? He went to AA week after week after week because he realized he was addicted to other people thinking he was all that. He was addicted to gaining his sense of self from what other people said about him, what other people thought about him. And if, if someone didn't think he was awesome, if someone didn't think he was outstanding, then he lost his sense of self. His pleasure sensors were not satisfied, and he was living for that. He was gaining a sense of life for that. Friends, that's idolatry. It leads to death. It's just an idolatry of another form. You know, that young man deserves to be commended because he really is fighting the same kind of pleasure-oriented addiction as alcoholics. It just has a different name. Now, fortunately, the good news is that Paul delivers for us. There is a way out for us. The bad news is a mind that's only focused on do's and don'ts, a mind that's only focused on pleasure, that just doesn't experience the kind of life, the kind of joy that God intends to give us here on earth. But the good news is a mind that is focused on the spirit of God gains life and peace. A mind that is filled with the spirit of God gains the fruit of the spirit, which is called peace. Again, verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit of God is life and peace. You see, what he's saying is that we're going to be controlled by something. And if we choose to allow our mind to be controlled by the flesh, there won't be any life in it. But if we choose to allow our mind to be controlled by the Spirit of God, right there, then out of the, out of the Holy Spirit comes the fruit of the Spirit. As we learn to dwell in the Spirit of God, 
From these little limbs comes the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, which is the very definition of the good life. It comes only by dwelling in the Spirit of God on a day-in and day-out basis. You see, our minds will be filled by something. And so our responsibility in this is to determine what am I going to fill my mind with? The battle, as the scriptures say repeatedly, is right between our ears. That's why it says elsewhere, take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, the scriptures say, think on those things, dwell on those things, chew on those things, and then the result is the God of peace will be with you. Or how about this? Be still and know that, know that I'm God. It only happens when you choose to be still in the very presence of God. So let me give you this, this assignment this week. I want to encourage you to talk to one friend or one family member, maybe one person in your life group who you know is safe. It's got to be a safe family or friend. We've got to have safe people in our lives. Talk to someone who you know is safe and tell them honestly, where does your mind naturally go when you're longing for comfort? Where does your mind naturally go when you start to get bored? And, and, and then simply admit, my mind naturally goes to sports. My mind naturally goes to politics. My mind naturally goes to certain debates. My mind naturally goes to ice cream. Here, here. Okay, where does your mind... <laughs> and then I indulge. And then indulge. And what do I miss? I miss the comfort that is offered by the Spirit of God. I miss the peace that is offered to me by the Spirit of God because I am so easily satisfied by something less. So have an honest conversation with someone. Where does your mind naturally go when you're needing comfort, when you're getting bored? And then we can begin to train ourselves. So we say, you know what, I'll spend 10 minutes less per day in that. 15 minutes less per day in that. I'll carve out 15 minutes in the morning. And I'll read a chapter of, the, a chapter of the Bible every day and study a chapter of the Bible every day and, and pray through it as we've been talking about. Make that part of your daily rhythm. And then maybe you get to the nighttime. And at nighttime you do an honest inventory of your soul. Where was your soul during that day? Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Where was I offensive to you today? I try to do that most nights. And just ask God honestly, where did I miss the mark today? I want to keep short accounts with God. And then perhaps throughout the day, you know, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Anyone else feel guilty when you read that? I feel guilty every time I read that of Philippians 4. I, I mean, I'm so far from that, but I'm seeking to learn how to pray without ceasing because in prayer is the Spirit of God. So one of the things that I'm doing right now is in between meetings, I'll extend my hands and I'll say, Lord God, here I am. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. I, I don't have enough in me for this meeting. I'm not smart enough on my own. I'm not wise enough on my own. So Lord Jesus Christ, grant me your wisdom. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And taking two minutes in a posture of worship and thanksgiving and prayer several times throughout the day redirects the mind such that it is naturally captured by the Spirit of God 
rather than by ice cream or social media or whatever it might be for you. Friends, this is the discipline that we engage. And we learn as we do that in the presence of the Holy Spirit is life and peace. Let me close with one story. We had a memorial here last week. And I'm going to try not to lose it. Beautiful woman named Sharon Anderson who uh, was a member of this church for decades. And that wicked disease called cancer took her life. But she's in the presence of the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. And uh, I had... Uh, great respect for what I knew of Sharon, but I didn't get a chance to, to know her very well. I've only been here for a year and a half and only had a few conversations with her. She moved to Lincoln to be with her daughter six, seven months ago. And uh, I worshiped at her memorial service to hear of her life and to hear the way she died. And her, her daughters came up on stage and they shared a eulogy. And Sharon, if you know her story, uh, her husband, Ralph, died of cancer six months ago. And he went through cancer many times. And her son, Scott, died of cancer a couple months before that. I mean, could you imagine that amount of suffering? And uh, you know, Sharon died at age 75. But she made this commitment when her husband first started going through cancer that she was going to go to every hospital visit that he had to every treatment session that he had throughout his multiple rounds of cancer. And she was going to bring two things. She brought her Bible and she brought her peace. She was going to bring those two things for her husband. And the theme in the memorial service was Sharon had this way that, that joy and peace just kind of splashed out of her life toward all who encountered her. And she had a peace in her that was really, really hard to understand when you consider the magnitude of suffering that she was going to with her, her husband and her son, and then in her own body. But she committed that she was going to bring her Bible and she was going to bring her peace to every treatment session. And so she would read that Bible to Ralph to give him words of encouragement, and then he'd go into treatment, and she'd continue reading it for herself, and she would pray and she would ask the Spirit of God to be present with him and to be present with her. And uh, I was so touched by her memorial that I started taking notes. I mean, again, I was in worship as I was listening to the description of this woman and how she lived so well in the Spirit of God and how she died so well in the Spirit of God. And uh, her daughter explained that Sharon wrote in her Bible, I realized that I could succumb to fear or I could surrender to the Lord. And amazingly, as I surrendered to the Lord, he gave me peace. He gave me peace. What are you going to surrender to? What's going to own your heart? If the Spirit of God owns your heart, if Jesus owns your heart, and as you dwell with him, 
I promise you it is in the presence of divine love that we're changed. Divine love is the most transformative presence, the most transformative power in the world. To be held by God brings peace. How is that possible? It's possible because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lived in Sharon. And friends, the same power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you if you've given your life to Christ. You just got to tap into the power source. So let's stand together, and if you would, uh, we want to read this verse that proclaims this great, great promise. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us. Let's all stand together and let's read this great, great promise of the scriptures and then we'll sing of it as one voice. Would you join me? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've given your spirit. Your spirit now dwells in us, and from your spirit is life and peace. It's hard for us to believe that that same dynamic power would live inside these mortal bodies, but we're going to trust by faith that your word is true. The very same power that rose Jesus from the grave now dwells in us.